I think before we begin, I'd like us to bow our heads and for us to have a word of prayer. You know, sometimes it is possible for us to be passing by, as I said yesterday in my devotional, and we may see somebody. It happened last night that we were passing by, and I didn't see somebody, but my brother-in-law said, oh, I just want to go and give a dollar to that person. And I looked, and there was a young lady. And uh, we went over to her, and she didn't look like the usual homeless person. She had a sign that said, homeless but not hopeless. She was 21 years old. She was young. She didn't look as though she was inebriate or alcohol or drugs. She, she was young. And we, I, I said to her, what, how did you find yourself in this position? What is the, what's the situation that you're homeless? She said, my parents have died. And she said, my, my brother, who I was living with, he got doing the wrong things, and he's ended up in jail. And I was staying with him. And now I have no place to stay. So, I thought this morning we could pray for her. Now, James said that somebody comes to you and says, I'm hungry, and I have no food, and you don't do anything for them. <laughs> uh, that's not enough. So, Dr. Landless uh, and myself... We uh, put her in a motel last night and uh, paid for three nights in the hotel. And uh, Janet, my wife, is going to go and check out to see what the true situation is behind all of this because we don't know what the situation is. But I thought it would be good for us to pray for her. And I, I tell you her story so that you have somebody specific to pray for this morning. And Janet will go and see her, and I hope she will maybe take her for lunch or something and talk to her. She doesn't look like a bag lady. You know, she doesn't look like the sort of people that are, have been on the street for a long time. She's young. She's 21. I said, what about your education? She says, well, I have nine credits at college. But she said, I don't have any means of way of finishing it up. We want to, to, to just try out the situation to see if it's genuine, I mean, it's possible she could be, you know, just be a confidence trickster. Who knows? But at the same time, while we must be as, as wise as serpents, we want to be as harmless as doves. And so we want to try and see. So let's pray for her this morning. And so would one of you like to uh, take that burden on you and pray as a group? We'll pray as a group for the meeting and for everything, but also pray for that young lady. Is there somebody here who would do that? Yeah. Her, her name is Kerry, isn't it? Kerry, Kerry yeah, Kerry. Yeah. Let, let's just uh, bow our heads and pray. Amen. I want us to be a little more interactive today because uh, it, it's easy to just get buried in the mass of the details that we want to talk to you about. And there's a lot of material that we want to talk to you about. But in reality, we, uh, we do want you to... Can I t I'll just turn it around here. Yeah. I'll, I'll sit there and you sit here. We'll just... Okay. Uh, well, then I'll just sit here and then we can... Yeah. I, I, I would like us to talk about neoplasia. What does neoplasia mean? Anybody have any idea as to the roots of neoplasia? New something, yes. You see, neo, a neophyte or a, a, a neo means new. Plasia has to do with cell division. So when we talk about New neoplasia, we are really talking about new cellular division. We're talking about growths, tumors, and even cancers. Now, how many of you have ever met a person with a tumor? All right, tell me about the tumor that you knew about. Um. Now, she's told us a lot of interesting things there. She said, surgery, you see, the brain has no, pa no pain fibers. 
So you can actually operate on the brain, and it doesn't have any pain. And in, in fact, they often like to do the surgery on the brain, with the brain being still functioning, because they can, as they move, they can see which territories they are getting into, which areas may be being damaged, and they can preserve as much function as possible uh, by operating with the patient uh, awake. So, so she, she's given us a very interesting thing. Neoplasia, though, is not always malignant. Does anybody here have a... Is this in the way? Oh, sorry, sorry. Does anybody here have a, <clears throat> a tumor that is benign? Yeah? In the knee. Sometimes we see cystic tumors in the knee, especially that are benign. We see what are called Baker's cysts in the knee. You know, I look around, I, 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 I am, you will forgive me, we are going to be a family group here. I'm looking around, and I'm looking around and saying to myself, where is somebody that has a tumor, see? Now, I have found somebody here that has a tumor, right in the group. And I'm looking at you, sir. And I don't mean to, to make him a, a, an object, but you see, he has here on his face, mm -hmm. this is a little tumor. It's not a malignant tumor. It's a normal little epithelium. We call that an epithelioma. It's just a little growth, see? Now, it, what do you think it comes from? It comes from the cells in that particular area, thank him very much, yeah, starting to divide more rapidly than they should. So those cells have divided, but they don't show the characteristics of a malignancy. That is not a cancer. Now let's go and, and ask ourselves. Yesterday we talked about the nucleus of the cell. I talked about the nucleus of the cell, and we said that the nucleus of the cell is, contains all the genes. It has all the capacity to create different tissues, but it also regulates normal tissue turnover. What do I mean by tissue turnover? Any ideas? Regeneration. Regeneration, yeah, regeneration. Which is the, which is the organ that undergoes regeneration the most? The skin is undergoing regeneration all the time. You see, I do this here. See this? Not very, not very traumatic. I just blew away several hundred cells. And when we talk about the skin, you'll understand that. The skin is constantly growing to the surface. There's another skin area that is also growing very fast. Where do you think that other skin area is? See, I, I, I'm wanting you to participate today. The lungs? Yeah, the lungs is... The digestive system is very, very rapidly changing. In fact, every 36 hours, we replenish the lining of our gut. Every 36 hours. It is growing all the time and replenishing itself. Because there is, there is a constant movement of material across it. It's digesting material, and sometimes it digests a little bit, and, and it digests itself when it falls off there. So that process of regeneration. Now, I'd like you to think about that for a little bit. These cells are the fastest dividing cells. Are there any implications for that in, that you can think of in this area of tumors and growth? The tongue or, or, or the mouth. Let's look at the mouth. You, if you cut yourself in your, in your mouth or you cut your tongue, it heals very quickly. So healing is very fast in the GI tract because it is constantly 
being replenished. That's why when you get gastroenteritis, unless it's a very severe form of cholera or typhoid or something, is usually not a very long-lasting illness because it's cleaned out and the damaged cells, they clean out and our bowel function returns to normal pretty fast. In the area of cancer, when we give chemotherapy, when chemotherapy is given, chemotherapy is targeting the cells that are growing the fastest. Most of them are incorporated into the nucleus of the cells that are dividing quickly, and they actually destroy those rapidly dividing cells. So a chemotherapy will kill cancer cells, which I, we're going to talk about in a minute, are growing very, very rapidly, but it will also, on the margin of its safety, it will start to kill other cells that are growing. So often gastrointestinal side effects are a side effect of chemotherapy. We will often see people have diarrhea. Now, what else do we see in chemotherapy? That I'm talking about cellular division. Well, we may lose hair, yes, because hair, uh, uh, of course, is growing all the time. It has to be, and, and that's a rapidly growing tissue and part of the skin. We'll lose the hair because it damages the hair follicles. What else? Mouth ulcers. People who have, are on chemotherapy often get mouth ulcers because the mucosa is changing itself every 30 seconds. So that's a rapidly dividing cell. And plus, it's only one layer thick. So it's, 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 it's pretty easy to, to, to damage it. Something else? Blood. The blood is very rapidly dividing, especially white cells are dividing. And so chemotherapy will kill off a lot of the, the blood cells, the, the division of the blood cells. And then the person will have, maybe is sub subject to what? If you, lo if you lower your white count, we're going to talk about it again, but what do you think? low ability to fight infection. And so we will find that those people have a, a greater amount of infections. So if we're talking about cancers, we, we, we're talking about chemotherapy. I'm just giving you a little bit of background. So you understand some of the side effects. Because it is targeting rapidly dividing cells, it's going to, to, to see it. Now, cancer is not a single disease single disease. See, it's not, it's not a single disease. Why do I say it's not a single disease? Because each tissue gives rise to a different kind of cancer. There are, there are many, many factors, but cancer is a process. The nucleus of the cell probably has at least 10 genes that regulate cellular division. It may be that there are 20 or 30 or 40 that are controlling cellular division. But the fact that if 10 of them are broken, you may process, proceed to cancer has given rise to the theory that many of us, day by day, develop a cell with the potential of becoming a cancerous cell, but the immune system eradicates that before it becomes strongly established. And so the cancer, cancer is an ever-present danger for all of us. And it is present because the nuclear, the genes in the nuclear can be changed, and then they themselves are constantly replicating and changing. And if there's an accident in the reproduction of a gene, it becomes damaged. And if it's a protective gene, it, it, it's been damaged in that particular cell. And if you get enough of them, if you get a, a group of 10, maybe, then it's possible for there to be a division. Now, you might say, well, the chances of getting all 10 of those in a row is like winning the lottery ticket. And, and indeed, it may be somewhat like winning a lottery ticket. But there are trillions of cells, and they are dividing 
thousands and thousands of times, maybe millions of times in our lifetime. So when you have trillions of cells dividing millions of times or, or, or millions of divisions over a lifetime, you can see that it becomes possible for a cancer to take place. So a cancer is a process that involves cellular division. Any questions? You all understand this? Yeah, question. Yeah, we do. We have to keep our immune system up. What else do we have to keep up? Ah, here is the name that we talk about, and this is sometimes we don't understand. People are always talking about, oh, you need to get antioxidants, you know, you get the vitamins, this is important, you get, you, you, you get so forth. When we start to look at the nucleus, cellular division requires vitamin B12, it requires certain, uh, certain B vitamins. You know, in the Adventist Health Study, they're looking at, at people who are different kinds of vegetarians, and they're wondering whether you get protected by being a vegan against heart disease, but you may be succumbing to more cancer, that, because the overall mortality seems to favor the lacto-ova. So saying, what can it be? It may be the B12, because the B12 is important in cellular division and it's important in the protection of the nucleus. When we talk about an antioxidant, what are we talking about? Can somebody explain what an antioxidant is? Can, well, I want you to explain what they are. Yeah. It's not so difficult. It's not so difficult. It prevents the oxidation Well, yes. You see, I, I want you to talk a little dif I want you to talk a little differently, but you're in the right idea. You've got the right idea. See, how do we breathe oxygen? We breathe air, which is not oxygen. Air is 80% roughly ni nitrogen, and 19% say oxygen, and 1% other gases. So we breathe the air, and we get the oxygen from the air. But oxygen comes as what? What's the chemical formula of oxygen? O2. Why O2? Why not just O? Exactly. They have a charge. So they bond together to neutralize the charges so they can exist as a molecule. But the atom cannot exist as a molecule. It exists as a free radical. Okay? So See? It's a free radical. So now, if in, an in a process, an atom, not a molecule, but an atom of oxygen is released, that atom of oxygen is going to look for some binding somewhere with something that will neutralize that charge. All right? If it happens to bind in the nucleus, it may disrupt some of these enzymes that control cellular division, right? And if it, happens to, if it happens to interfere with cellular division in sufficient number of places, then we might find neoplasia. So antioxidants are protective, felt to be protective against cancer. Now, does that mean we can totally prevent cancer? No. So do we run seminars saying we prevent cancer? No. We run seminars saying we can lower your risk. Always remember, we, we don't want the absolutes. You know, I used to say to my children, never say never. And always avoid saying always. You, you know, I, I was playing on the, on, on, on the game. But we use in our speech always and never the absolutes, whereas very often we should be using, instead of absolutes, we should be using relatives. So we should be saying possibly, probably, often, frequently. And, and so antioxidants reduce our risk, but they don't prevent totally, you see. Now, you had a question. 
it, the free radical, because it has the charge, looks for something to which it can bind itself, to neutralize the charge. If that happens to be in the nucleus, it may alter the normal arrangement of the nucleus and thereby damage it, see? So we, so we talk about then, this, is, an, this is, is a free radical, that's what this unbalanced charged oxygen particle is, damaging nuclear material. And that is a damage to, the, to a gene. If it damages the genes that regulate cellular division, now we have got one of the mechanisms, not necessarily the core, but a mechanism whereby cancer can... Now, what do you think causes an increase in these free radicals? Oxygen is one, the antioxidant one. But tobacco, for instance, has toxins and chemicals that can do the same thing. See? So when we talk about a carcinogenic agent, a cancer-causing agent, we're talking about something that can also damage the nucleus. Now I want to ask you. Pardon? Radiation, yes, that also damages. See, radiation can, can do it. But in health ministries, we are always talking about protection. So how do we protect the nucleus? What, what, what is something that we do that offers protection? You mentioned the immune system. The immune system is after this change has taken place. Okay. Now I'm going back a step or two before that. What can we do that will give us something to protect? Good nutrition because we want to provide antioxidants. Where do we find antioxidants? Pardon? In berries, yes. We, the antioxidants, we sometimes talk about antioxidants as phytochemicals. What does that mean, phytochemicals? Phyto means plant and chemicals. Yeah, some people think it's fighting chemicals, but it's phytochemicals, plant chemicals that are going to oppose this oxidative process that I've just mentioned. And what are some of those plants? The colors, you see? The simple way to approach it is to look at color. When you see color on the plate, you are naturally produ producing antioxidants that will fight against this oxidative process. So, give me some colors. The oranges, yeah. The, the reds. The greens the yellows, you see. So when you look at your plate, it should be a rainbow diet. You see, we've got the full plate diet, but you can have a full plate and it could be just beans, it would be a full plate diet. But, and the full plate diet, by the way, is very good. I'm not, but what I'm saying, what I'm saying is when you look at the plate, you want it to be a full plate diet, but it must include colors, you see variety of colors. So you've got the red peppers, you've got the yellow pepper, you've got tomatoes, you've got the brown beans, you've got the, 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 the rice that even is white. You might say, well, that's colorless. No, nope. but if it's a, a brown rice, it's got uh, many of those antioxidants. So, so we look at our food and we say we want it to be as whole as possible and we want it to be as colorful as possible and you're beginning to understand we, where we're coming from. Is this going to prevent cancer? No! It's not going to totally prevent cancer, but it's going to give us a step up, you see? It gives us a step up. And so that's why we say uh, we, we want to prevent. Now cancer, there are other genes than cellular division that are placing. Have any of you had a relative die of cancer? You have, all right. How did they die? They may have died in pain, but pain from what? What did they die from? Yeah. How did, how did, the colon cancer is one that doesn't cause as much pain as some of the others, but, but how does it kill us? How does the cancer kill us? It spreads. 
Where does it spread? It, by metastasis. It may spread directly. See? It may just spread by putting its fingers into the tissues. Cancer, what does cancer mean? The word cancer. What does it mean? Crab. Do any of you follow the, zo uh, look at the, you see the zodiac? Somebody says, I'm born under the sign of cancer. What is the, 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 the creature there? It's a crab. And when they looked at cancer and they saw the, the spread of its fingers, it looked like there was the body of the cancer. And here were its tentacles or its spread into the tissue. So they said, that's like a crab. It's a cancer spreading in there. Now, if it just grew locally, that would be one thing. But it grows and spreads. How does it spread? I'm saying a crab, C-R-A-B. The Cretaceous crab, yes. <laughs> a crustacean. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, now we've talked about metastasis. Yeah, it spreads exactly. These growth of these fingers, they can get into the lymphatics. The lymphatics are, is the system that drains the lymph from the tissues. That's the ooze from blood vessels. It drains the ooze from the blood vessels back and puts it back into the heart in the subclavian. But it, 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 it draws that, that blood. But if cancer gets in there, then the cancer is drawn through the lymphatics and spreads to lymph nodes and through the body. Through the blood, if it gets into the blood, these cancer cells now circulate in the bloodstream and may find a little place where they can settle. Cancer can grow directly, but it can metastasize also by something we call transcelomic spread. In other words, our gut, our gut is inside our abdominal cavity. And there's a surface, a moist surface. So the bowel, when it's moving across itself, it's got a nice slippery, slidey movement. But there's a space there, potential space. We can put a needle in there and blow, blow it up with, with gas and, and spread it all apart. So there's a space, and the cells can migrate across the surface of that spell. So we can get a colon cancer beginning here and it will spread across the cavity and it may end up at our liver or on our omentum or under the, you know, it spreads, that's called transcelomic spread. So this business of spreading is made possible because cancer cells, because of the, g the, the nucleus uh, talking to it, has l they've lost the stickiness. They don't hold together. We are very concerned at the General Conference. One of our major functions at the General Conference is to maintain the cohesiveness of the world church. You see? We want everybody to stick together because there is strength in the unity of the church. You see? That's a big role why we go to different countries. You know, people say, well, we're traveling, but we are trying to create this feeling that we are a unified world church holding the body because we want to be adhesive. If we fail, then we will find that we fly off in all kinds of different directions and the church will die, you see. It's important that we hold together appropriately. Now, they break off, they migrate, and that is called metastases, all right? That's the word that you mentioned to us, metastases. Cancer is genetic in its origin. Genetic by the mechanism that I've explained, but also you can inherit a tendency towards cancer. Anybody know of any genetic predisposition to cancer? Uh, leukemia, we, there are genetic predisposers. You, you, you're quite right. There's, there's chromosomes, Philadelphia chromosomes. There's different, diff, different, different abnormalities and, and, and genetic precursors. Pre, pre but a common one that per, perhaps is better understood is breast cancer. 
and, and that one we can remember the name of it because they, you know, medical people are very imaginative. Doctors are, are just so, you know, superbly imaginative and, and, and they create lovely names. So, so for the gene for breast cancer, they call it BR, breast, CA, cancer, and they say it's BRCA1 and BRCA2. So they have, <laughs> they have two genes that have been recognized that may predispose to cancer. Not everybody getting, carrying the genes will have the cancer. Now, when we say carrying the gene, what we really mean is we carry a brokenness in the gene. So it's not a gene that necessarily causes cancer so much as it is a broken gene that doesn't prevent cancer. You see? A sign of our brokenness. A broken gene. And that broken gene can be passed on down through the generations. That's why we say cancer is genetic. We mean it is regulated by the genes. That's what I'm saying there more than I'm saying that every cancer is inherited. I'm just saying that it is controlled by the nucleus. It may be a mutated gene, yes. It may be a gene that mutated for that individual, and that's what usually happens with cancer. Or it may be a gene that mutated in your parents, and then you got that gene, it's still mutated, and, and because of the circumstances that surround it, whether it actually, the cancer actually happens. Because there are many other factors. Look at this. In food, there are what we call cofactors, proteins, factors that can damage the, the nucleus. A carcinogenic factor that you may find eaten is you're out in your backyard and there comes wafting across the backyard, especially in the summertime, the smell of roasting meat. You know, they're having a barbecue. In South Africa, they always say a braai flace. That means their flace is flesh, and braai is their, they're braising it. See? So a braai flace, and they, they do say it, if they're English, they speak with this kind of accent that I'm emphasizing a little bit here. They, they, they have a braai flace, not so good. Or they have, in America, they have a barbecue. And you can smell that. I, my neighbors on both sides, they have barbecues. And I'll sit out there and I'll say, oh boy, somebody's cooking up a barbecue. All right. What is happening when they're actually doing that? They are cooking the outer layer of the meat and they're burning it brown. And actually, they may be overcooking it a little bit and, and the smell is going and you're smelling the smell of burning. Those burnt meat tissues contain hydrocarbons that are damaging to the nucleus of cells. And that is one of the reasons why the Adventist Health Study, as I show it to you later in the course, when we, when we come to the Adventist Health Study, why people who eat meat have 3.6 times more colon cancer than do people who are vegetarians, pesco-vegetarians, lacto-vegetarians, or vegan vegetarians. They have 3.6 times more if they eat the meat. And it's probably a lot of it to do with with these hydrocarbons. It maybe have something to do with something else I'll tell you about in a minute. But but that's that's one of the one of the possible causes. Now our food, besides having cofactors and proteins, also contains fiber. When it comes to our bowel, fiber, what does it do to for, for our bowels? Pardon? Exactly. It's like a broom. You know if you don't eat much fiber, your stool becomes small, and you, you can't be very proud of a stool of, that's not got much fiber, you know? Burkett, who did his work in Africa, he described the African stool, you know? He said, these large, bulky, proud stools, you know, big jumps, you see? And, 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 and those were full of fiber, and the fiber was doing several things. Number one, it was increasing the motility. It was increasing the time of transit. So if you had those toxic products like 
like the hydrocarbons that were on the burnt side of the outside of the of, of the of the bryophlase, if you had that and, and you, you you had lots of fiber, the fiber says, come along, hurry up, let's get through, let's get through, let's get through, and the bowel moves it through, and so the exposure time to the toxin is reduced by the fiber. That's why that 3.6 increased rate of of the 3.6 rate of increased risk of colon cancer can be reduced back to that of the vegetarian if the, the meat eater eats at least four, preferably a daily large serving of legumes. So it puts the Adventist in a dilemma because do we tell the meat eater to eat legumes so that he can continue eating his meat? Or, or do we just say, you must stop eating the meat? You, you, no, we have to tell him to eat the legumes because our number one concern is not that he becomes a vegetarian, but our number one concern is that he should enjoy health, right? And so we're going to tell him, if you're a meat eater, Please, if you can't give up eating meat, at least eat a big serving of beans every day. See? So in other words, eat chili con carne. If it's con, if it's con carne, eat chili with it. So put the beans in there so that you don't just have the beans, the meat. See? Now, of course we would like them to become vegetarian because there are far more benefits than just lowering the risk of colon cancer from a vegetarian diet. But in, in the terms of cancer, I just wanted to talk about that. Now, cancer rates, sometimes people say, oh, cancer is increasing. Do you believe cancer is increasing? <coughs> well, we have more people, you see. So the actual cancer rates, that is, the number of cases of cancer per hundred of the population, or per thousand of the population, is actually, has been declining, except for, except for lung cancer in, in women. See, there are fewer men smoking today than were smoking 40 years ago. In fact, it's dropped from about 40% to something like 26%. And so there has been a fall-off in lung cancer in men. But smoking takes 20, 25 years on average to cause lung cancer. And women for the last 20, 25 years and 30 years have been increasing their rate of smoking. And so the second most powerful killer of women today is lung cancer, second only to breast cancer, because of the number of women who have started to smoke. So although absolute numbers are increasing, the rates, the percentages have not been increasing. And this is due to the fact there's been a lot of emphasis on eating and uh, having better diets. So some of the cancers, you can read this in your, in, in your notes, some of the rates here in the United States. Not all tumors are cancers. I'll tell you an interesting story, just to liven the class. I'm a gynecologist, an obstetrician and gynecologist. The surgeons used to call me to come and do pelvic examinations. They said, Hannisides, I think you've got eyes on the ends of your fingers. You know? So I would do a pelvic examination. I say, you know, I think there's a little mass there on the right ovary, or there's a little. So, and, and so they would always ask me to come and, and see them. They asked me to come and see a woman. They said, this time we don't want you to examine, uh, to examine her and find because she's an older woman, but we want you to consult with her because she has she has some kind of emotional problem, like a sexual drive. And she's driving her husband, who's 76 years old, nuts. Now, if he was 26 years old, he would have thought he had, you know, 
fallen with his bum in the butter. But he, here he is, a 76-year-old man, and he says, my wife's driving me nuts. She's got these sexual fantasies all the time, and she's really... And they said, do you think there could be something wrong with her uterus? I said, no. I don't think there's anything likely wrong with her uterus or her vagina or anything. I think you've got to look in her head, all right? Because there's more sex above the neck than below the neck, you see? And they looked, and sure enough, they found she had a tumor. She had a brain tumor that was causing this problem. And so they said, man, handysides, you find tumors everywhere. <laughs> but <laughs> she had a brain tumor. Fortunately, it was a benign tumor. It was not a malignant tumor. So the, the neurosurgeons were able to pluck it out, and it didn't have tentacles spreading into the brain. It just came out clean, just like the stone from a cling-free, uh, you know, a, a, a peach, a peach that's a, a freestone peach. It just came out, and it hadn't spread its tentacles into her brain. And so that was an easy cure, because it was a benign tumor. Now, a benign tumor has often a capsule. It pushes the tissues aside. A classic benign tumor is a fibroid. Now, we don't operate on fibroids, usually, uh, little fibroids. Maybe 30% of women, once they reach the menopause, have fibroids. So if we were to operate on every fibroid, we would be just doing it for money. When I left my practice and went to Africa, the guy that took it over, my mother was in the office, she said, he's finding fibroids all the time and he's operating all the time. You didn't seem to operate. I said, oh my, I know what he's doing. He was removing every fibroid he could find. Of course, he was making lots of money. I mean, he's a big millionaire today because he made all that kind of money. But for me, I would only do a surgery if, the, if it was causing problems or, or symptoms. So consequently, I was operating on fibroids when they were the size of a basketball or a, or a football. And there would be maybe 40 fibroids in there. And I was plucking them out like picking out potatoes, you see. They would come out, and, but they were not malignant tumors. All right? So they would go in the pot and they'd have a big basin of fibroids. I said, you can boil those up and we'll have mashed fibroids for lunch. No, I'm just joking. But they looked like potatoes, all right? We were pu pulling these out. And the uterus, when we put it back, sometimes it was easier to just do a hysterectomy. But, you know, women are different. Some, some groups of women don't want to lose their uterus, you see? So you would take the fibroids out. But what I'm showing is that there are benign tumors. They are not in danger of killing them. Only if they cause pressure, pain, excessive bleeding, those kind of things, would we have to work on benign tumors. Now, the study of cancer is called oncology. The tumor in Greek, and, and Dr. Landless, Dr. Landless, is, his mother was Greek, and he speaks Greek. And it's, it's, it's always lovely to hear Dr. Landless talk because he would say, you know, onkos and, and, and tell us uh, the, the Greek origin. But oncology is the study of tumors. A British oncologist defines a neoplasia as an abnormal mass of tissue, the growth of which exceeds and is inco uncoordinated with that of the normal tissue. And it persists. This is the important thing. This growth persists after the stimuli which evolved the change. That's why removing the cause is not always the cure. You understand that? You can stop smoking, but it doesn't necessarily revert the process. This is a very important lesson for us in health ministries. Because it shows that cure is different from the cause or different from prevention. So very often in health ministries, somebody comes down with a cancer, 
and the person is going to say to the person with cancer, oh, you should drink lots of juices. I've been finding if you take carrot juice or if you take this special plant, you take this, this is so good, please do it. It's got lots of antioxidants. It will... The problem with that approach is that prevention is not the same as cure. I had a little girl. My little girl used to ride a bicycle, you know. She, she rode the bicycle like this because she was not very coordinated. She was like her father, you see. So as she would go along the road, the bicycle went this way and this way and this way. And every morning I would say to her, please be very careful when you ride your bicycle as you go to school because the traffic's coming on. Please don't weave around. Be very careful riding your bicycle. If my daughter was run over by a truck that ran over her leg and broke it, what kind of doctor would you think I would be if I came and I saw her lying there with a broken leg and I said, oh, please be careful how you ride your bicycle. The prevention is not the same as cure. So in health ministries, and somebody in your church has a cancer, yes, it's good to eat good food. It's good to recommend the diet, but don't think it's going to cure them. And that's why in the Adventist church, we say it's important for you to go and have the treatment. It's go and have the cancer cut out. Go and take care of the situation in regular manner because prevention and cure are different. Did you get that? You see, that's something a lot of, of lay people in health ministries do not understand. This is why we talk about foundations here. You have to understand these very basic things if we are going to be able to, to do this. Neoplasia is purposeless. It doesn't, it doesn't have any governance. It's self-ruling. It doesn't support the host. It's terrible. It's just growing, doing its own thing. The tumor represents the tissues from which it comes. And it has two parts. It's got the structure in which it grows, and it's also got the, the supporting cells. So if we look at this tumor, you see this, this, has a, this tumor here is arising from these cells, all right? They look pretty similar, okay? But you can see it's not uniform like this. It's no longer growing in the layers which it was growing in before. It's now self governing, all right? It has supporting blood vessels coming in, just like the other tissue, blood vessels coming in. It has fibrous cells supporting it, just like the others, but it's doing its own thing. Now, if we looked at that tumor, we would say that that tumor was a pretty well differentiated tumor. Benign tumors are usually well differentiated. They look like the tissues from which they come. If they're fat cells, they're lipomas. If they're fibrous cells, they're fibromas. If they're muscle cells, they're myxomas. If they're cartilage, they're chondromas. You see, so we call, they look like the tissue that they came from. And benign tumors are usually very well differentiated. The poorer the differentiation, so the less they look like the parent cell, that means undifferentiated, the more malignant the situation is likely to be. So benign tumors are going to be well differentiated. Malignant tumors are not going to be as well differentiated. Now, often and usually, we can look at a cell and say, ah, oh, that's thyroid cancer, that's breast cancer, that's this kind of cancer. How many of you have ever met a patient and they say, she's got cancer, but they don't know where it started? Have you ever met a patient like that? Why do you think they can't tell where it came from? Yeah, it doesn't look like the family. doesn't look like the family. My two boys, they look just like, they're, they're very similar to each other. In fact, when we look at photographs of when they were six years old and they're 10 years, 11 years apart, 12 years apart, so when we look at the pictures of them, you say, is that Danny or is that... Who's that, Robbie? Which, which, which one was that, you know? Be, because you have to look very closely, and, and usually I can tell by the shirt that they were wearing, more, rather than by looking at it, because they, were, they looked like they were family. 
Cells that look like family are, are, are dividing, they're much less malignant than cells that you look at them and you say, I can't tell where it came from. You know, just can't tell where that came from. That's what we call poorly differentiated or anaplastic is a term that we use for that. Now, the, the, the reason that we talk about anaplasia is that it, it gives an idea. Sometimes people will say they've had a prostate biopsy. Has anybody here had a prostate biopsy? Well, I don't need to ask you. Anybody here had prostate cancer? I don't want to ask that either. But if, if, if you've had prostate cancer, they will come to you and give you what they call a Gleason score. They will say, the tissue, you know, is, mod mod is well, moderately, or poorly differentiated. That's, and they give you a score that talks about the, the, the Gleason score talks about how rapidly it's growing, how differentiated the tissues are, and so forth. Th that is all based on the cellular characteristic. My father died of prostate cancer. As I get older and I keep doing my PSA and I still don't have it, I say, Phew, good, because I have a, an increased risk of having prostate cancer because my father had prostate cancer. That, I just know that. That's, that's the facts of life. Fortunately, prostate cancer comes when we get older. So, you know, something, I'm going to die of something. Prostate cancer wasn't nice to die of, though, because it metastasized. It went to his bones, and it caused him a lot of bone pain. And it's not so much that you worry about dying, it's you worry about how you die. You know, that, that, that's the problem. It's not the dying. And, and, and sometimes I say to myself, I don't know, you know, maybe to die of a heart attack or a sudden thing might be kinder than to die this slow, lingering death. Yeah. Well, I don't think that that, I don't believe that's true. I, you see, I think cancer grows exponentially anyhow. And so usually by the time by the time we recognize it, by the time we recognize it, it is starting this very rapid growth. So, so I don't believe it's because uh, we diagnosed it, something happens here. I think it's because the cancer was en route to growing very fast already. We're late in diagnosing cancer, always late. Cancer has always been there long before we can find it as physicians. The question is only whether we get it ahead of where we can cut it all out or we can kill it all with, with a chemical. But it's not that we can, you know, it's, it's usually far advanced because one cell is invisible. A million cells may be just a little tiny, tiny little, little bump somewhere buried in our body. So it's, it's only as it gets to be millions and millions of cells that we start to feel it as a lump. But I'm going to have to hurry because you're going to read the rest of this in your notes. An embryo, a, a, a fetus, develops from, from, from one cell. It divides and it divides and it divides. And, and, and it forms from plates. The embryo, here's the embryo, actually uh, has three layers. It has ectoderm, which is the outer skin. It has mesoderm, which is the tissue in the middle, and it has endoderm here, which is in the center. As the baby grows and folds, that plate folds so that the endoderm lines the gut, the ectoderm forms our skin, and also the neural our spinal column and our brain, and the mesoderm forms the muscles and the bones. So we name our cancers uh, our tumors, our cancers, after the tissues and embryological tissues from which it arose. So we talk about sarcomas when they come from tissue that was mesoderm or mesenchyme. So sarcomas are, or sarcomata are fleshy because they have less connective tissue, and we talk about an osteogenic sarcoma, that's a bone sarcoma or we talk about a rhabdomyosarcoma. That's a muscle, a, a, a striated muscle tumor. Or we talk about a carcinoma if it came from epithelial. So the two, the two epithelial layers were the ectoderm and they were the endoderm. So 
we talk about carcinoma of the gut, or we talk, talk about carcinoma of the skin. And so when we talk about them, a basal cell, carcinoma. A, a squamous cell, carcinoma. Often found in the skin, uh, sunlight, too much ultraviolet light is, the, is, is probably implicated in form. And then there are mixed tumors. I mean, we may get mixed tumors that have elements from the, uh, the skin, elements from the mesoderm. So those, we sometimes call them teratomas or we, or, 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 or because they are mixed. They've got the characteristics of all three tissue types. Anaplasia, I've talked to you about differentiation. Dysplasia is often the beginning of cancer. It's the, the cells stop dividing smoothly and regularly. And when we look at pap smears, when we're looking at people who are, uh, are being screened for cervical cancer, we look to see if they have, if they have dysplasia. And so as a gynecologist, I would sometimes do colposcopies and be looking at the cervix and see certain areas of the cervix, and I'd biopsy it to see what that looks like. And we would find dysplasias. And if you catch it early enough, you can just cut that piece off, and it, it's, you've cured the cancer before it even became a cancer. See? So that's why screening can be, uh, can be very important. Uh, some tumors are functional. If they are very closely related to the tumor from which they came, so let's, for instance, think of a thyroid cancer that is producing, uh, is being very close to the cells from which it came. It may produce thyroxine. Or you might find a tumor in the adrenal gland produces adrenaline. And we have somebody who has bouts of high blood pressure, sweating, and feel, or a tumor in, of the appendix, maybe a carcinoid uh, syndrome is caused by a tumor that's a, what we call a chromaffin. It's producing various chemicals. So we have these functional tumors. Some tumors in the pituitary may produce, may, may produce growth hormone. And we, it may be a benign tumor, but it may be producing growth hormone. And some of these gargantuan basketball players, they actually have an excess, they have a little tiny tumor in the pituitary that's made them grow so big, and they have big bones, but later on they may die because of, of problems that are related to the growth hormone. Similarly, people with Cushing's disease, or may have a, a tumor producing a cortisol-stimulating uh, hormone, so, that, so, so they can have it. So functional tumors are, are something else. I've talked about fibroids, I've talked about local invasion, we've talked about metastases. All right, and there are pictures here that you can see. We've talked about the roots of spread, I talk about rates, and we talk about geography, because geography also plays. For instance, vitamin D may be protective against some cancers. And so people who are in the northern parts have less likely to form vitamin D. So that being the case, um, you read your notes, you'll find that cancer becomes more as we age. You know, if somebody's this, this, this age here, 85, 90, and they get a cancer, we're not so worried about it because it grows slowly. And anyhow, what are we going to do about it? And, and I object to the surgeons who go and do horondectomies. You know, they're removing all kinds of, of tissues and everything on somebody that's 95 years old. I, I tell my wife, if I reach that age and something happens, just let me go peacefully and with dignity. Look after me. The Lord, Lord is coming. And when he comes, you know, I, I don't need to have been chopped up and spend, you know, 90% of the money that's being spent on me in healthcare when I'm 90, 95 years old, you see. So that's, that's just how we do it. Genetics, we've talked about this. And then nutrition. I want you to understand the colors, how important they are the colors, the dietary factors, direct contact, the biochemical environment. It's all in your notes, and you can read about this, but I think it was important that we just talk. These nitrosamines, you see the black part on the meat? It's, that's the cancer stuff, you see. You don't want that. Question. I used to have this habit years ago. I like burnt bread, Well, it's not... It's not, you see, these are the nitrosamines which come from the protein, you see. And, and bread is less likely to have that. But it may have slight, slight amounts, but not like the meat, you see, not like the meat.
It'll have benzopyrenes, you see. So don't, benzopyrenes. So don't take it too, it's better not to get it too far. No, yeah, yeah, better not to do that. This media was produced by Audioverse for the NAD Health Summit. If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit, please visit www.nadhealthsummit.com or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.